Welcome to the Atom Ventures podcast. My name is Bhairav Patel. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Atom Ventures. And today I'm here with Brendan Kumarasamy, founder of MasterTalk. You got it, Bhairav. Yeah, excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey into becoming a public speaker slash speaking coach? How did you, you know, how did you start off? Yeah, for sure. So when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports for nerds. So other guys my age were watching college football or you know, rugby or, you know, footy or different things like that. I am obviously not equipped for either of those things. So what I was doing instead is I was watching other people give presentations and I did that competitively. So after three years of university, presented over 500 times, coached dozens of people on public speaking. And then when I started working as a consultant, after I graduated from university, I just said, how can I make a difference in the world? And from my experiences in venture capital, helping a lot of startups with their pitch decks and things like that, I realized that people had great ideas to share, whether they were founders who couldn't communicate their ideas properly, or they were a 16-year-old girl in high school who couldn't afford a speech coach. So I just started making videos in my basement, frankly. And then uh, one thing led to another. The production got better. And here we are today with Master Talk. So tell us a little bit about the the work that you did at VCs, because obviously the people listening to this are generally startups or startup founders or small businesses. So what work did you do with the VCs and the and the founders of the businesses to to help them improve their pitch? Yeah, for sure. So when I was in when I was in university, for those who are familiar with this, uh, dorm room fund and uh, real ventures are are essentially two well, front row ventures. I mean, in Canada and dorm room fund, how the how the funds work is the thesis behind it is that university students, a lot of university students go on to build a lot of big companies. So if you think about Snapchat, Facebook, but there's also another issue on the other side of the equation where VCs don't have time to source deals in university because they're too high risk, low return for the number of referrals they get for any given uh, fund that they're trying to raise money for and invest in deals. So what happened is a lot of these venture funds, more specifically first round capital in the US and real ventures in Canada, they opened a student arm where they took five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars and have students manage and invest the money. So that's how I, I got into venture capital really early in my career. I think I started in VC when I was 20 or 21 and I sourced one or two deals. So basically what happened was, and I would go through a bunch of pitch decks like 50 or 60 meetings, and I would essentially drill them on all the mistakes that they were making. I'm happy to talk about some of those mistakes. The biggest mistakes that founders make with pitch is that they don't have multiple versions of the same presentation deck. So let's say, for example, they have their demo day pitch, what they do as a five-minute showboaty thing for, for ventures, investors, but they don't have another version of the presentation for it, for formal meetings or informal meetings with one-on-one venture firms. So I just noticed they were making a lot of mistakes and they couldn't afford me. So I just started making videos for everybody in the ecosystem. <laughs> so what, what, is, what, made, what kind of pitches, when you're getting 50 or 60, I guess a month or uh, it must be at least a month, right? You must be getting loads, loads a month. Yeah, absolutely. So, so they ranged a lot. So for example, most of the companies I, I did deals with or, you know, found mistakes in their pitches were social media companies, construction SaaS companies, AI companies. So a lot of what, you know, it was mostly data, data focus, I would say, even if we were agnostic. So for those who know agnostic means you just invest in any industry. So in that type of situation, now we were looking at deals from all around the, the globe, like, you know, like hardware deals, software deals. And what, what this gave me as an ability is this idea of structuring different ways of looking at the same thing. So since the industries were so vast, I was able to ramp up really quickly in the way that I was giving them pitch feedback. 
So what were the biggest mistakes that you saw with the communication piece of it all? Yeah, for sure. So, so definitely, you know, there's the technical, you know, the technical basics. You know, there's no fillers and things like that. But I think the biggest mistake, besides multiple versions, that founders make is that they don't summarize or can't summarize their business in one sentence. So, one company in Montreal called Invivo AI. So, this is what they do in a couple of like seconds, is that they take data from big pharmaceutical companies, parse the data, and realized from the research that the main reason drugs were failing in the drug development process was because of toxicity of the drug. Most drugs fail because of toxicity. But what these big pharma companies do is they develop drugs for multiple years, and then they find out at the end of the process that their drug is going to fail. So why waste all of that money? So what Invivo does is they circumvent the process entirely and find out that the drug is toxic early. But Daniel Cohn, who's the CEO of the company, when he summarizes his business, this is what he says. We're in Vivo AI and we help big pharmaceutical companies save money through artificial intelligence. Simple. Anyone can understand it. So the point of this message is simple. If that dude could summarize his business, that is probably one of the most complex businesses I've seen in the pipeline, you can summarize any business in one sentence. So then when you started doing the, the, the initial videos, what kind of uptake did you get? What, what, what was the response to the videos that you started when you started doing them? Yeah, I think, I think honestly, when I started, much like most startups uh, or founders, I just, it's just my startup wasn't technology-based, was I thought it was a really stupid idea. You know, I was just making videos in my basement, like in my mother's basement more specifically. <laughs> but what happened after was a lot of the people who were in case competition, so most of these people go on to work at investment banking and VC and management consulting. A lot of these people were interested in communication and learning it. So they were watching my videos every week and I saw uptick and traction. And then after when I really started focusing on specific niches of people who are, would love to learn more about communication, that's when the channel really started to take off. So examples of that are technical founders. So technical um, CEOs of technology startups, those people want to raise 500K, the more than happy to learn free public speaking videos are succinct and well-intentioned to podcast hosts. They see the value of communication because they're a host of a podcast and they see the value of communication for their audiences. So as I was focusing on specific niches, the, that's when the channel really started to grow a lot. So where, where are you at now? How is the, so obviously I've been online, had a look at, look at your videos. What, what in addition are you doing? I guess you must be doing one-to-one -one consulting as well, right? Yeah, you got it. So, so most of the way that I that I grow the platform, and this is true, since this is a founder related show, for those who want a free like pitch workshop with me, I do it to promote the YouTube channel. So, if you're interested in that, you just message me. But I think the idea, what I've done is, a lot of my clients these days are CEOs of companies, mostly in the technology space, where I help them with their communication skills, their pitch decks, the way that they present their ideas, and I also have a kids program where I help a lot of those executives as kids as well uh, master communication. That's that's pretty cool so i guess my question next is when you're looking what are the kind of common issues that you see with people when they are communicating what are the of course you know when it comes to pitching a business you need to be able to describe it succinctly and give an indication of what it is and make people excited which is difficult in itself but when you're looking at more of a one-to-one -one communication um communication aspect what are the kind of key fears i guess that people have what are the things that are holding them back yeah, for sure. So I think one great way of starting this conversation, Bayrab, is answering the following question, which is, why is everyone scared of public speaking? Where right? you talk to anyone in the UK, New Zealand, anywhere, we're all scared, we don't know what. So I can shine some light on that. A lot of speech coaches like to recommend bogus advice like breathe or 
get a glass of water. But this solves the symptom, not the core issue of how to actually fix this. So if we just ask ourselves, where do we give most of our presentations? The answer is school, because most of the presentations are forced. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Bera, if you want to get breakfast and present all day, it doesn't happen, right? We're in high school, college, university. Three things happen. One, we never get to pick the topic, and it's generally something we're not passionate about. Two, students don't care to listen to us, not because they don't like us, but because they're worried about their own presentation. So their frame of mind is different when they're listening to you. They're not paying attention. Number three, teachers are too stressed to coach you. They're very well educated, very well intentioned, but if you have 50 students, you have two classes to go through all the presentations, you're not spending 10 minutes with each person and encouraging them to speak better. You just don't have time for it. And all of these behaviors gets perpetuated in all the subjects you give, languages, sciences, math, English, gym, music, and we're taught to believe that public speaking is a chore, public speaking is a responsibility. So if you learn all of these habits as a young individual and you go on to become a CEO of a company, you're always going to see public speaking as a fear-mongering tactic, as something you don't want to do, as something that isn't beneficial to sharing an idea that matters. And the first step is changing that perception within founders and people within the community. So how do you change that perception? Because I think that's quite that's a pretty well ingrained thing, right? You know, when you're young and you're going through and giving whatever, standing up in front of class, giving presentation. I mean, that's for those are your formative years. So that's pretty much well ingrained inside you. So how do you deconstruct someone to to help them relearn how to talk? Absolutely. So so the first part of that is coming to the understanding of where it comes from. So most people aren't aware that that is the reason why they're not good at public speaking. They think they're just scared because everyone's scared. Rather, the issue is that the fear of public speaking isn't their fault at all. It's the system in which they grew up with. So now with that understanding, let's move forward. So now the next step after that is figuring out how to practice public speaking. So let's say you take piano as an example I like to use. If you start playing the piano the first time, you have two options. Option A is you know you do 15 different songs you hope for the best and if you're mozart that works and for everyone else that doesn't work and option b which is more common you pick one song you do it a bunch of times until it's perfect people give you confidence to say bear i'm such a great pianist when did you learn how to play piano you only know one song but it doesn't matter people think you're great that confidence boost gives you the encouragement to do another 15 songs we do that for every skill whether it's running you know, doing a marathon, cooking, gymnastics, anything, but we don't do it with public speaking. It's Wednesday. Our boss, our client, our teacher comes up to us and says, we have a presentation for Friday. So we don't talk to our families for two days. We spend 10, 15 hours on the pitch. We present the pitch and then we take the presentation. We crumble it up, throw it in the garbage and move on to the next one. So the key to mastering public speaking is to create what I call a repeatable presentation. Create one presentation that you can do in perpetuity, like forever. And if you do that a hundred times, you'll see yourself as a speaker you never saw yourself before in. So to that point, so a lot of people are going to be saying, well, you know, that all sounds good and well, but I've, I just, I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel I have the personality to do that. I can't project or whatever it is. People, why would people listen to me? So, you know, what are you going to say to that where people just think it's an, an intrinsic part of of their character? Not, of, of course, we talked about the it being a learned thing where, you know, you, you, you kind of talk to fail in many ways, right? But there are certain people out there that just say, oh, I, I'm too shy. What would you say to them? 
I love it. it. It's interesting how you sound like a VC, even when in podcast episodes of other You're like, what about this? But And I agree, right? I, I think the key, especially if you're a founder who's listening, in my opinion, is you need to ask yourself what's more important, right? The ideas that are worth sharing from your startup, the vision, or your fear. Just to give people context, I started Master Talk when I was 22. Who the hell am I to share public speaking advice to the world? And I started coaching C-level executives when I was 23. How does that make any sense? And that's the point. Confidence stems from two areas. One is preparation. Sure, I was young, but I've also presented over 900 times. So I know a thing or two about the subject. But the other part that's more important is a belief system. Not just this believe in yourself thing, because that's useless, but a belief in the ideas that you want to share. I believe that every 16-year-old, that that is the point of view that you should have as a founder, and that's my point of view, which is I believe every 16-year-old, every person who's younger than me, who doesn't have access to communication, does not need to be taught to fear public speaking. And if I don't make the videos, no one else will. So for you, whether it's a SaaS company, whether it's a construction startup, whether it's an AI company, there are ideas, there's an impact that you want to make. And if your impact outweighs the fear, you're going to be forced to share your message. A good example I can give is David St. Clair, who's the expert of aging from Harvard Medical School. He's a terrible speaker, but the knowledge he has to share is so important that he speaks anyways, and he got better over time. That's the key. So what about improvisation here? So, I, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the piano analogy is a good one in that, yes, you can play chopsticks really well and you can be the master of chopsticks. But then if someone asks you to do something else, you could fail quite miserably at that. And I think a lot of people have that fear as well, is that, yes, I can repeat the same thing over and over again. But then when I'm asked or questioned on on that, that suddenly things fall apart. So, you know, how much okay, is imp- improvisation a big part of public speaking? Do you think it's a small piece? How do you teach it? How do you get good at it? You know. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's an easy exercise we can do to kind of demonstrate improv that you can do every day. So, Birav, just give me a random word. Coconut. Sure. So what I need to do with coconut, for everyone's listening, is I need to create a presentation of thin air. So here I go. I'm walking slowly on a beach, and it's 6 a.m. in the morning. I could feel the sun rise. I could feel the ocean breeze. But what I'm more excited for is what I'm going to have for breakfast. After a long run, I walk up to a tree and I knock on it and a coconut falls down the tree. So I pick it up and I start drinking from it. What we always forget about coconuts is that they're not just something that we eat. They're a moment for us to share. They're reminded of how simple things life can be. And they're a reminder of how we should live our lives. That's why today's presentation, I'm going to talk about coconuts, the importance of coconuts and the history of coconuts. So anyways, the point of that I'm driving here is I just invented it out of thin air. So there's a couple of things I want to point out. One, you should never compare yourself to me. I've done this over 2,000 times. Two, all I'm asking for is five minutes of your day. Pick five random words every day, you know, lap, camera, sofa, couch, doesn't matter, and make presentations out of it, one minute each. Number three, what will happen is a mental shift will happen in your brain. If you can talk about hippos for a minute, when you go back to your bread and butter, your startup that you spend years working on, that you spend every day being fanatical about, it'll be really easy. It'll be a joke to present that. So it's that mental shift that you can do every day. It's funny, actually, because you reminded me of uh, something that we did when I joined PwC back in 99 or whatever it was. What they do as a consultants, because obviously part of it is not just technical understanding technology, but you have to be able to speak 
in front of a client. So we would do the same thing. So we'd draw, uh, you'd, we'd all write down a word, uh, and then someone would have to draw out that word from a hat and then speak for 60 seconds on on that thing. So you get like carrots or something like that. You know, that and that was, I think, it was, it was interesting to see the people progress through that because at the very first bit, like first month of training, people, well, the first week we started doing it, people were horrendously scared. But by the end of it, three months later down the line, people who you know couldn't couldn't speak would just stand in silence for 50 seconds would uh, would be able to speak for like three minutes on on you know grass whatever it is so I think, yeah very interesting very right and it, it is practice makes perfect in many sense right something that it's a learned skill uh, that you need to develop right absolutely so uh what has been your biggest failure then like what, what where have you slipped have you had any kind of howlers out there that that you know you can recount Oh yeah, a bunch of them for sure. I think one of the big ones was uh, when I started the, making the videos, I had this brilliant idea, and of course I'm being sarcastic here, in the sense of I, I wanted to, one of my ideas was if I get all the university professors in Canada or the States to share my videos with the students, I'll have the distribution I need to grow the channel. So not a dumb idea, but what I missed was uh, the perception they would have of me. So I started sending a bunch of emails to university professors, not with like a cell or anything, just saying, hey, these are videos, your students struggle with them, watch them for free. But there were <laughs> so many of those professors that replied with, who are you? You're too young. You're a loser. Sometimes even sent me like huge letters, like a hate email saying I had no expertise in anything, even if they never watched the video. It was kind of ridiculous, but I wasted six months of my life doing that. I would literally go home after work. I used to work at Price as well, and I would go home at work after, spend three years, uh, three years, excuse me, three hours, and just send 500 emails a day, and I did that for six months. And all that time, if I would sent that same email to podcast hosts, Master Talk would be a lot more successful today. So uh, yeah, that was a huge blunder and a huge waste of my time. So why do you think you got the reaction that you did? Yeah, I, my my opinion, I think, is just the way that academics think. So I'll give an example. This is obviously it's educated guessing. I won't know the exact thing, but my perspective is that they're very they're very bought into what they believe, and they're not really as open minded as I thought they were to other perspectives. So I'll give you a simple, easy example to demonstrate this. So there's a lot of speaking coaches on the platform who have PhDs in communication on YouTube. But they don't know anything about communication and how to teach it properly, which I find odd. And I'll give you an example of this. A lot of these speech coaches start their workshops like this. Did you know that after death, public speaking fear rampages society and everyone around? Obviously, I'm cartooning a bit here. But you get the idea. They always seem to mention that public speaking fear is like death. But what they're failing to understand is if you just take a first step back, going back to thinking in first principles, and you think about this, if the goal that you have in any conversation is to inspire people to take action, to inspire people to speak, even if that is true, the last thing that I'll ever do in a workshop is to talk about death. How is that ever going to help anybody? Right? It's just a simple tweak. But people are so lost in the research, they're so lost in the numbers, they're so lost in their tenureship that they forget to just say what's actually helping this person. Right. So I think that's where the issue lies. So I'm feeling the, the the passion and the warmth coming through the uh, through the through the screen here. So, what other pet hates do you have? Because I'm sure you must have many. Like, what what are the kind of things that you're seeing out in the market that coaches are saying to to people that you think they're going, "My God, stop saying these things." Is there are there oh. any other? Oh yeah, yeah. 
we could spend like years just on that. But I think the idea is, I'll get an example, like a one that you hear is more of a joke, you know, picture everyone in their underwear. I was like, okay, that just makes people sound perverted and uncomfortable. Okay. So how does that make any sense? Or things like oh, one, one in particular, one video I loved, and I'm being sarcastic once again. This is the video that inspired me to start the YouTube channel. PhD on the platform, 70,000 subscribers on YouTube. How to manage vocal tone. This is how the video starts. Hi everyone, today we're going to learn how to manage vocal tones. I'm like, hello, you don't know how to manage your own vocal tones. Why are you teaching other people how to speak when you don't know how to speak? It's, it's kind of this weird, it's like this whole, uh, you know, listening to a doctor who's overweight. How does that make any sense? Why would you listen and get health advice from someone who doesn't have health, like doesn't, isn't in shape? So, so yeah, just a lot of these contradictions that come to mind right now. So do you find yourself doing a lot of deconstructing of, of that in itself? Like when people come to you and they've been told, oh, I should enunciate, look around a room, whatever it is, right? Do you find yourself having to get break people out of bad habits? Oh, absolutely. Really quickly. Like another example I can give you is, well, two in particular. So one is this whole fake it till you make it garbage advice. Oh, you should like fake it until you become the person you want to be. That works really well if you're a professional actor or someone in theater. But for most people, when they see that advice, they go, I just don't want to practice altogether. So here's the remedy. Celebrate the small wins. Public speaking is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. Juggle one, eye contact. Juggle two, ums and ahs. And over time, when you're juggling seven balls, you're going to say, what's another 11? Right? So that's a much better perspective. Another one is one of my clients. My favorite one is a six-year-old girl. Right? You know, first class, she's like, oh, well, Brendan, I don't know anything about public speaking. I don't want to do this thing. And I go, what's, what's the favorite part about your day? What is your passion? She looks at me and she goes, well, I love school. And I say, do a presentation on that. She's way better than most of the CEO executives I coach. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, that's the other thing is age kind of pairs down your, it, not in sense, well, it pairs down your creativity in some senses, but also your ability to listen, I guess, in many ways. Um, so, you know, one of the things, I've, I've, I've seen the video, but I think given we're on the podcast now, what are your five basic tips then? And it's obviously there on YouTube that people can find, but just quickly on the on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So so the five tips are pauses, where best speakers in the world use pauses effectively to make their presentations sound better. Number two is ums and ahs. How do you get rid of these filler words? The key is you want to replace them all with the pauses. So whenever you feel like you don't know what you want to say next and you start to get worried, that's when you start going, uh, uh, bleh. So you want to replace all of that with nothing. Number three is audience mastery. Remember that great speakers think about their audience, but phenomenal ones talk to them. They have conversations with them. Lunch, dinner, coffees. They really spend an exorbitant amount of time understanding the psychology of the people they're speaking to so that they can speak to them in a better way. Number four is eye contact. I'll keep it simple for the virtual world. You want to keep your eyes on the lens at all times. Right? So notice how I've never deviated my eyes ever since this conversation started. Number five is posture, but I'll replace that with something else. Mirroring. So with mirroring, one thing I want to focus on here is we need to remember as speakers, we are mirrors. Mirrors aren't just the thing we look at in the, in the morning when we get ready. It's the very thing that we are because we project our own emotions onto our audiences. So if we don't look interesting, our audience won't be interested in what we have to say. But if we come up to a stage and we're bringing reassurance, we're bringing positivity, we're bringing passion and calmness, that is what our audience will feel. So mirror properly. All right. So let's just let people know, how can they get in contact with you? How can they find you and your work? 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to send me a message, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. So I'm at Master Your Talk. And if you want to check out my YouTube videos where I share all my tips and tricks for free, that's Master Talk in one word. So I have a little bit of a tangential question for you, and that's not necessarily about public speaking, but around um, media and actually dealing with the media, doing interviews. I know myself when I do interviews, I tend to, it's not, you know, I have no problem speaking or doing public speaking or anything like that, but I tend to find myself rambling a lot in, in the sense that I kind of, I should say less and I end up saying more, which obviously kind of hurt you if you're if you're not on point, right? So, you know, how much of the work you do, do you do any work with media, as in like, do you do any media training? Um, and it, if you do, what kind of tips do you have of people who are going to be interviewed or uh, even as a podcastee or, or just interviewed a newspaper for public relations reasons, you know, whatever it is. Do you have any tips around that? Yeah, absolutely. And like the way that I coach is never like you need to do this, but rather let's understand the situation at hand. When you're at your first interview for a podcast, the worry stems from being asked questions that you've never been asked before. What about this, Brendan? What about that, Brendan? What if I didn't prepare this? There's two easy fixes to this. One is the realization that after 100 shows, there is no question anymore that hasn't been asked on your expertise. Like, you know, today you've asked me a lot of questions. I've been asked all of those questions, right? And the reason I'm saying that is because it gives you the confidence. Second thing is how do you speed up that process? This is what I call bulletproofing your pitch. Basically what you want to do is always the harder thing. So if you're worried about asking questions, get the worst people you know, like the the most demonistic, like negative <laughs> energy people, put them all in the room and have them grill you on questions for three hours. And after those three hours are up, you will never be worried about presentations ever again and answering a question because nothing's going to be worser than that. So that sound advice. So actually, one of the things I want to go back to is, so you, you mentioned during the, the time as a VC and uh, you gave the example of the of the pharma company uh, and explaining something complicated in a very simple manner. Now, it's generally very difficult. I remember with one of the companies that we had, you know, we did so many different things. Trying to combine that into even a 300-word pitch was was hard. Um, but, you know, do, what tips do you have about synthesizing something complicated in, into something simple? Yeah, for me, the answer has always been your customer, your stakeholders, the people around you give you clues. And then from those clues, you figure out the answer. So I'll give an example. There's two ways of explaining Airbnb. You could say that it's a marketplace where buyers and sellers gather to exchange real estate assets for cash. Or you can just say Airbnb is a place where you can rent the extra room in your house for money. Right. So I think yeah. the idea is the reason that simplicity in that language stems from not from our own brains, it stems from customers, people who love us, people who use our service. So one question you can ask people to get a better understanding is just go up to you, the people who love you already and just say, if you were to explain this company back to me, how, what would you say it is? So they would use words like, oh, you know. Oh, like, you know, it's, it's this real estate company. I get to exchange assets, some other like more complicated people. Other people would say. Well, you know, it's a place where I can rent some money, make some money, some other people. And then at some point, what you'll realize, especially with Airbnb realized, is that Airbnb is a place where you can belong anywhere, everywhere, because everyone's in different places. And they get that wording from everyone around them because they are able to explain their business in simpler terms than they because we're in the nuts and bolts of it all the time. So my advice is just talk to your clients, talk to your investors, talk to everyone around you, get a bunch of words together, and you'll have your sentence in a week, tops. So as you're coming from the VC world, this is, I've got to, I've got to raise this with you because this has been one of my the, 
not I wouldn't say a pet hate, but it's one of these weird things that I keep seeing around. Or, or, or let's say it's a it's a it's a it's a thing that's happened over the last five years that I find a bit strange. And that's most pictures nowadays. It's all as a story about someone. So Jenny, she's starting a barber shop, and you know, on her day to day, she has to not only cut hair but do you know take in cash and and advertise on the local newspaper. My company here can help you do X, Y, and it helps Jenny, you know, release her from this work and la di da. And it's all now become a story about our Raul. You know, he's a poor kid on the wrong side of town and he needs to have, uh, you know, right. he needs to do X, Y, and Z things. Like, isn't that all kind of done to death now? Because every time you sit in any of these pitching competitions, it, it's just all about this, right? It's exactly the same thing over and over again. I mean, do you, like, what's your thoughts on that, having been someone who's probably sat in front of all of these ones? Right. I, I, I think there's a good chance that we'll probably disagree. But my opinion on this is at the end of the day, if everyone understands your business perfectly, you win regardless of how you pitch it. So I'll give you the issue that it comes up for me in a pitch. For me, the fundamental issue is if everybody doesn't understand your business in the room. And if you don't achieve that by trying to do something magical or different, you lose. And the reason you lose is because the VC who's sitting there who knows the exact person they should be introing you to won't make the introduction because they don't know what you're talking about. So I like – I don't enforce those types of slides that you say. But the reason I like them is because it's simple for me to understand what your actual value prop is. Because since you're in such details in the nuts and bolts, someone like me who doesn't understand your tech stack, what your what your your back end is, I get exactly what you're getting from A to B. But what I do want to emphasize is that's one of many tools that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So for someone like me, I love Jenny because I love people and I can sell her really well. But for some technical founders I've seen, Jenny doesn't work so well. Because they can't really relate to Jenny, they put the wrong person, and they don't really sell that person at all. So I think a better way of thinking about this is, what's your one sentence? And in your opinion, based on your capabilities, based on your interest, and based on what you think you can do, what is the best way to defend that key idea? For some people, it's statistics. For other people, it's just saying, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've exited like multiple hundred million do dollar companies. At that point, it doesn't really matter what you're pitching. People are going to give you money. right? For other people, it's track record. For some people, it's traction. doesn't really matter. The key is that through your pitch, you want to hit as many people as possible. Whether it's Bayrav, the unemotional person who doesn't like, you know, <laughs> customer who doesn't like Jenny, to the investment banker from Deutsche Bank who went into VC who only wants numbers, to the HR person who is the CHRO of Netflix and who goes, I love people, I'm empathetic, sell me that emotion. Your goal as the founder is to look at all of those different perspectives and make sure that at the end of your demo, even if not everyone's in love with you, everyone understands you. And if everyone gets it, that's all that matters. Definitely. And I agree with that, because even if someone doesn't want to invest in you, they'll know someone who does or they'll know someone further down the line. They may be having another conversation with someone and then, you know, your company comes up. Oh, I heard about this company that does that. That can help Jenny. Um, poor Jenny. So many things that she has going on. Um, so the last question I really I, I, I ask everyone, but this is not going to be uh, an easy one for you, is like if you could go back in time 20 years and give advice to your younger self, what would that advice be? But 20 years, you were probably, um, you know, smashing plates on the floor. And uh, uh, so let's say five years. 
No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I was actually a good kid growing up, so I guess I wasn't smashed into any place. But but once again, back to the media question, right? In the sense of you know, if you're if you're getting asked, you know, for people who are worried about interviews and this stuff, if you get asked this question, I've been asked this question a lot, so don't worry, right? That's what I want to point out for everyone. So for me, the answer is always the same, which is the following: my favorite quote: "Be insane, or be the same." If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you're this far in the conversation, you probably want to do something different with your life. You probably want to make an impact. My advice is the only way you're going to achieve that is to be a little bit more crazy. Don't you find it all odd that as a 22-year-old, I started a YouTube channel, not on vlogging, not on comedy, not on pranks, but on public speaking and communication information. Then I went to coach CEOs at the age of 23, but at the same time, I'm having this very conversation with you on the mattress that I sleep on. I still live in my mother's basement. I don't plan on moving out until I'm 31. So how do any of these decisions make any sense? Brendan, you're a grown man. You can go live on your own. You can go pay your own rent. Why are you still there? And that is the point. When all of your decisions are only or only make sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you're probably making the right decisions. That's my take. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, as I was just talking to someone the other day, you know, I, I'm after living 20 years abroad, I'm now in my sister's old bedroom doing a podcast with you who's in the basement of his mom's house, right? So, so this, is, but this is how, but you know, it doesn't, there's no wrong or right about any of these things, right? It's the decisions you make at a certain point in time and, and you do what you need to do to, to move forward, right? And that's it. And how you do that, it's, it's completely fine. There's no wrong or right way uh, of going about it. So I guess the the, the next, uh, I know that was meant to be my final question, but now you've kind of intrigued me as to wh- where do you go from here? Now now you've, you've obviously been talking to the, you've had exposure to some interesting people, some high-powered people over the last X number of years, few years. What is your next step? Where do you want to progress this? How do you want to take it forward? Yeah, for sure. I think I think a lot of startup founders can relate to this. You know, you start a company, you start an idea, you don't really know where it's going, you're kind of figuring it out. But over time, you figure out what the what the lining thread is. And for me, the lining thread, especially from all the experience in VC and everything, is the following thesis. Dale Carnegie was born in the wrong time period of history. He wanted to make a difference. He wanted to share public speaking information to the world. And he failed, not because he was inadequate, not because he wasn't an expert, but because he was born at the wrong time. 1922, 1950s, 1940s, you don't have video, we don't know how you speak, we don't know barely how you look, and how you invigorated people. I was born at the wrong time, right time period of history, where media and the cost of production has gone down to pretty much zero, that I have an opportunity that Dale Carnegie didn't, which is to democratize the world's information on public speaking, so that when I'm dead, Every person in the world for the rest of time, since communication cannot be commoditized, can learn from me forever. So the goal is to be uh, the biggest YouTube channel on the space and and teach everybody public speaking. That's the goal. That is a grand old vision. And, uh, and anything we can do to support you in that, we will do. Um, thanks for that, Brendan. It's been great speaking to you. Likewise. Uh, if you want to know more, Brendan, do you want to give people a little, just a reminder of how they can contact you? Of course. Uh, so for those who want to reach out, that's Master Your Talk on Instagram. So you can send me a message. Questions, concerns, insults, complaints, I'm always happy to receive anything. And if you want to check out my YouTube channel, it's Master Talk in one word. And if you like what you hear, then don't forget to subscribe to the Atom Ventures podcast. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you, know, wherever you think we are there.